Welcome to the Centerpoint Vineyard Podcast. We're a church on Sydney's northern beaches, seeing lives transformed by Jesus. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, uh, a warm welcome to you this morning, especially if you're visiting with us. Uh, Once again, my name's Jonathan, and it's great to be able to celebrate this Advent season with you. I don't know what comes to mind when you think of Advent, or how you've traditionally thought of Advent. Sorry, let me find my slide deck, there we go. Or have traditionally prepared for Christmas. Um, For much of my life, I only knew Advent through Advent calendars, uh, which apparently Advent is a marketing ploy to sell novelty calendars filled with cheap chocolate and lead up to Christmas, that's what I thought. Uh, And the way that as a kid I would prepare for Christmas was when we were growing up, always the week before Christmas, uh, we would go away on a camping trip and then we would come back on Christmas Eve. And uh, we went to a place in Shoal Bay and the campground had one of those old Telstra phone boxes, you know, where you have to put the 40 cents in to make the call. Um, But my mate and I realized that um, if you dialed 1-800 numbers, uh, you don't have to pay any money. And so there would be a a yellow phone book there and we'd work our way through, we'd look for telecommunication companies with 1-800 numbers and we would call them or prank call them. And um, we were probably, I don't know, 10, 11, 12, something like that. ask for Santa's number or ask us to be directed to Santa. And it would be quite hilarious seeing the 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 service customer's officer on the other side of the line trying to work out how to gently let these guys down that, you know, they don't have Santa's number. And so they'd put you you on pause and say things like, oh, well, let me just speak to my manager. Oh, yes, sorry, no, he's asked us not to connect you through and, you know, various (laughs) things like that. Or I don't think there's a phone connection in the North Pole, actually. You might want to write him a letter, stuff like that. But so often in the modern world, we just kind of do Christmas without any deliberate preparation or liturgical cadence to the year at all. But traditionally in the Christian life, uh, there has been a different calendar separate from the secular world. And Advent is part of the season in the lead up to Christmas, usually four weeks, that helps us fully enter into the story of the gospel. And the gospel is the good news that Jesus loves us so much that he would humble himself and enter into our broken world to make all things new. And Advent allows time, time itself, the calendar, to become a tool for encountering God. And it's a time of preparation where we can prepare our hearts for the joy and the celebration of Christmas. In the last two weeks, we've looked at peace and hope. And this week, we're finishing our Advent series looking at Advent joy. And so I've titled this morning's reflection, The Source of Christian Joy. And if you get to know me, you'll probably realize that joy is not the first word that you would use to describe my personality type. I tend to be a bit of a classic melancholic personality. I tend to view the glass as half empty. And I'm pretty sure that if I turn around, someone will probably drink the rest of the glass. And so I've often been tempted to dismiss joy as simply like misguided optimism. Um, But as I began to reflect on joy from a biblical or a Christian perspective, I realized I'd been too dismissive of this Advent theme for much of my life. And there are two readings, gospel readings, that go with the Advent theme of joy. And the first is Mary's song from Luke 1, 46. And Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. For now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. 
And the second reading comes from Matthew 2. When they, that's the Magi or the wise men, saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and they worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh. And when it comes to joy, what I think I've been uncomfortable with in this season is the way that many of us, myself included, have often approached Christian, uh, the, the Christian season of Christmas in our culture. You know, we're frantically at the end of the year, we're trying to wrap everything up in the calendar year. Normally we're exhausted and you hear that phrase, oh, I just need to get to Christmas. Has anyone used that in the last couple of weeks? Let me just get to Christmas as if it's like a finish line. And it always felt a little bit cheap for me to enter the kind of the rah-rah celebration of Christmas without taking a moment to first pause and say, hey, let's acknowledge the areas of our life where, or in our world where there's violence, where we desperately need to see the Prince of Peace come and inhabit. You know, there's this wonderful Advent hymn. It says, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. And before we celebrate, the season of Advent allows us first to acknowledge that there are parts of our lives where we also need ransom. We need to experience the freedom of Christ. And sometimes I feel like in our culture, we're often asked to just leap into joy before we've had a chance to acknowledge the tension that we live in, in this side of heaven, in this side of Christ coming again when things are not always as we'd hope them to be. But instead of doing that, we tend to just like block out that uncomfortable reality and we tend to just do things like pile on our to-do list, sing Santa songs and do frantic late night shopping sprees. But that feeling of like dis-ease that sometimes we have at this time of year is actually an indication, I think, of our personal need for God. So these areas of frustration or of pain in our lives, C.S. Lewis suggests, are like God's megaphone screaming to us, saying things are not how they should be, not how God intended them to be. And there's this longing for us within us for God to bring the world to rights, to make all things new. And that's what we are actually celebrating in Advent, that process. So by first recognizing the areas of our lives where we need ransom, the ways where we need Jesus to come into our world and to bring us life, makes the joy that we then choose to celebrate on Christmas more real. It makes the hope of the resurrection more true, more meaningful. The reality of Jesus' presence with us right here, right now, more tangible. Jesus has entered our lives and offers us free grace. He's already working in our lives to make all things new. And as Christians, that grace, what we might call the unmerited or unwarranted or the unearned favor the kindness of God. It's like his face turned towards us with a loving countenance. That grace is the ultimate defining reality of our lives rather than the pain or the brokenness. And so that's what we celebrate at Christmas. The gift of this season is you can't truly practice Advent without as a discipline also embracing celebration. We're not blindly ignoring the difficulties of this world but we're celebrating that despite them, we know a God who is actively working to make all things new, even if we can't see it as a reality or as an outcome just yet. So the word Advent, it comes from the Latin Adventus, as Jill introduced us to a couple of weeks ago. Is that right, Jill? Jill, do you speak Latin? Back in the day, which means yes, you do. Um, Adventus means coming, and it's this idea that God is coming to us that separates Christianity from all other religions. 
This idea of Emmanuel, God with us, it's a key hinge of the Christian faith. Um, And as Max Licato once said, the one who came still comes. The one who spoke still speaks. That's the joy of Advent. But before we unpack that, I want to take a moment, I want you to take a moment just to call to mind, when did you receive a gift that you'd either been really longing for, or even better, one that was unexpected and outrageously generous? Just call something to mind. Could be a childhood memory, could be something recently. An occasion when you experienced grace, unmerited, unearned favor. And if you've got one in the back of your mind, now just pay attention to your spirit as you call that to mind. What does that memory stir inside of you? I remember when the doctors lifted up Blakely for the first time um, at her birth, and, uh, and Judah, I suppose, as well. But um, <laughs> the first child is always, you know, a little bit like, oh, wow, I'm, I'm now a parent. Um, but months of longing and expectation, just in, this incredible sense of the generosity and the kindness of God turned towards us um, to safely deliver her from what was quite a traumatic labor. And Mary and Joseph, they would have felt that similar joy this time. You know, after a traumatic journey, hundreds of miles while pregnant, and after probably a difficult labor in a barn, this kind of, this release of grace, this noticing of grace, of the kindness of God in that moment. Um, The wise men would have felt similarly after a long journey, you know, months of faithfully following this star to then finally see it come and rest above the birth of the king. So joy and celebration is everywhere in in Scripture, sorry. Um, Followers of Jesus are meant to be people of deep joy because Christians are people who have encountered and become aware of deep grace. If you'll let me nerd out on you for just a moment. In this text, the word for rejoice or joy is the word kara. So when they saw the joy, they, sorry, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy, with great kara. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. So these wise men, they were foreigners, probably nobles from Persia. They'd come a long way. And they were among the first to recognize this new baby as the newborn king. And they rejoiced. So the word that tra- is translated joy in the English or rejoiced, Cairo, it comes from the root word ka, which is favorably disposed. And it's derived from the same source as charis, which is the Greek word for grace. So rejoice means to experience and delight in God's grace, to be conscious of God's grace. And after a long journey, when the Magi saw the star, they knew they'd finally found what they'd been searching for. What they noticed in that moment as they gazed upon that star was the unmerited, unearned favor of God. It was the grace of God turned towards them. They recognized that their whole journey was not by their own design or their own doing. They didn't earn this opportunity. They were led the whole way by God's unmerited favor, His grace. And they delighted in that grace and they rejoiced with great joy. See, biblical joy literally means to be glad for grace. One Greek scholar writes it like this, Joy and grace are derived from the same source. They share the same root and therefore the same core meaning. Grace is the unmerited favor of God. Joy is what we experience when we become aware of God's grace and favor. It is grace recognized. 
And when I saw that, I realized that I'd viewed joy wrongly for so many Christmases. See, I thought joy was some kind of emotional state of happiness that I was supposed to somehow maintain in every day. But no one explained to me that joy stems from recognizing grace. It's deeper than an emotional feeling, which for me, often my emotions are too dependent on whether or not I've eaten lunch. See, joy is a sigh of relief that the soul lets out when, after much searching, it finds its rest in God. The story of Mary's pregnancy and the Magi's journey, they're like poetic symbols for us of our own journey towards finding Jesus. Some of us might have been searching for a long time. We might have been yearning for something greater. We're not even sure what we're yearning for. And then suddenly it seems we encounter his grace, his favor, his face turned towards us, his delight in us. And finally, we understand the reason for our existence. We recognize that all is grace, that God is present with us and that we can rest in his favor. So that's the very reason why Jesus came at that first Christmas. It was to demonstrate the grace of God. The thing that separates Christianity from secularism or from really any other world religion is this event that we know as Christmas. Theologians refer to it as the incarnation. Jesus, fully God and yet fully human. So there's something sacred in the Christian life about earthy, fleshy things. Christians the world over, we, we might say we have a sacramental view of reality. That's why we take communion that we're going to do in a moment. These practices of earthy, fleshy things, bread, juice, they help guide our walk with Jesus and to hold the tensions of this world. See, it's actually through the stuff of earth that we encounter heaven. And by heaven, I don't mean this place that we go to when I die. I mean the reality of Christ's presence with us, the process that God is already undertaking to make all things new. Another word for it might be the kingdom of God. And that process required God himself to enter the very fabric of our world. Not just to enter it, though, to actually be part of it in a literal earthy sense, real flesh, real blood, not to lord it over us like some military dictator. He came as a baby covered in blood and amniotic fluid to a mother in a small town in a forgotten part of Israel. That is the character of God. It's God's grace. And the wise men recognized that and they rejoiced. We're sometimes tempted to think of the gospel as the good news as a message, you know, good news to all men, you might hear at this Christmas time. But what Christians call the gospel, if it's simply a message, there were a lot more efficient ways God could have given us that message than sending himself. See, the gospel is not just a message. The gospel is a demonstration. God uses the stuff of earth to help us recognize his grace. It's a tangible reality. God actually became flesh. He entered right down into our current reality. Why? Not just so he can slum it with us for a few years. He entered into our very brokenness in order to redeem it, in order to make things new from the inside out. The God that we see in Jesus, is not some angry, distant God barking orders at his creation. This is a humble, loving God who gives himself away for his children. There was a theologian in the early church called St. Gregory, and he made this statement, for that which he had not assumed, 
he has not healed. See, God's approach to making all things new was to incarnate himself, to literally embody the redemptive process, to assume flesh and blood in order to heal it, in order to ransom us from the captivity that we're in. God got right down in the mud and dirt with us in order to pull us up out of that same mud. That is the scandal of grace. That's the source of joy because it's his presence. It's Emmanuel. It's God with us. And we can tangibly know that presence today. We can know God's grace, not because we deserve it or we can somehow earn it. No, God humbly and freely enters the area of our, areas of our lives that we welcome him into. And he starts to make all things new. He starts to bring his freedom there. And we, when we identify that, when we recognize his grace, his presence in our, li- in our lives, joy begins to be birthed out of us. We can authentically celebrate this unearned reality, this unmerited favor of God. Advent means coming, and really we're celebrating the three comings of Jesus in this season. The first is the incarnation that happened in history a little over 2,000 years ago on that first Christmas. And in this season, we join with the Hebrew people of the Old Testament who were longing for Messiah to come. They didn't know when it would happen. They didn't know how it was all going to work out. They didn't skip to the end of the book, just like we can't really skip to the end of our lives and realize how God works it all out. And Advent gives us a glimpse of our own personal need for rescue, just like the Hebrew people. And then we recognize the second coming of Christ, which is Christ in our present. We're waiting, we're longing for Christ to come in our own lives. We're becoming aware of his grace, of where he is already making all things new. And in that, we joyfully recognize grace. And we're also recognizing where we still need Jesus to come, where we still need Jesus to come and bring newness, to bring life, to bring ransom for us. And then finally, the return of Jesus is the third advent, when all things will finally be made new. That's really what Advent focuses on. It's our longing for all things made new. True Christian faith actually inflames our longings. It's like that megaphone that C.S. Lewis speaks of. Most of our deepest longings are actually for good things. You know, it's, it's usually the same the world over. You speak to people in other cultures, other contexts. People want a healthy family, loving relationships, fulfilling vocation, all of that stuff. But what if underneath our deepest longings, what we're actually longing for is all things new? These desires are for transcendence, for beauty, for intimacy, for love, for grace. And Advent would say that Things feel wrong in our world and in our lives because they are wrong. But the joy is that we know that they will be made right in the end. And we can recognize that God's grace is already at work in those areas of our lives. And we can celebrate in joy knowing that our ultimate future, if you put your faith and your trust in Jesus, is an ultimate future where there will be no more tears, no more pain, when all things will be finally made new. So in a moment, I'm going to light the third Advent candle. We've lit the candle of peace and the candle of hope. And the, the third candle for Advent is the candle of joy. And uh, things like lighting a candle, they help us bring our minds back, our minds um, as portals to our bodies, to come back to the moment, come back to the present, come back to the reality that God is with us right here, right now. 
He is the light in the darkness. And we remember that Jesus came as light in a dark world and is still in the process of making all things new. And then Chris is going to sing uh, an Advent hymn of joy. Uh, and we're going to take communion. And as he does, uh, I want to invite you. You don't have to if you're visiting with us. If, if you've not done this before, you're welcome just to, to sit and reflect. But um, everyone is welcome at the table to come and take communion if you would like. And uh, what, what I want to invite you to reflect on um, is where do you need his advent or his coming to make all things new in your life right now? And you might even want to reflect, where have you seen his grace at work this year, his unmerited favor, his kindness turned towards you? And you might just want to take a moment to recognize what he's done in you and in this church and in your life and give him thanks for that as you take communion. So as we do that, Chris, if you want to pop up, um, I want to invite you to reflect this morning. If you've never accepted that free gift of grace, grace is something that God offers us, but it's still like a Christmas gift. We actually still need to unwrap it. If you've never unwrapped that Christmas gift of grace, you might not uh, know if you have a personal relationship with Jesus. There's an invitation this morning if you would like to open your heart to him as we take communion. Uh, it's simply all you need to do is just say, Lord Jesus, come into my life and I accept that free gift of grace. So as Chris sings, I want to invite you uh, to come and take communion and reflect on a couple of those things and then we'll sing together to finish. Amen. You've been listening to the Centerpoint Vineyard Podcast. To connect with us, find us on Facebook, Instagram, or by visiting our website, www.centerpointvineyard.org. The theme song for this podcast is Highest Praise by Kieran Delhart. So we